Hello, we're glad you joined us. This week we're continuing the series in Joshua and learning about risky obedience serving a sovereign God. Listen now as Pastor Lucas explains. Going through the book of Joshua, going through the book of Joshua, and as, as we go through this book, uh, we're, we're seeing this theme of, of God's sovereignty and that God is in control, that God is at the helm, that God has got the, uh, the steering wheel, that He is um, making things happen. He's the one that's going to make things happen. It's not in our lap. It's not in our control. And as I'm just looking through this book, and we're going through this book, I just keep thinking of the fact that um, we, we, we tend to suffer from a, an easy version of Christianity, just an easy, an easy believism, an easy religion. As um, so you look through the Bible, it's like it's not supposed to be easy. You know, God calls us out to do difficult things. Like what we just saw on the screen, these words we just sang together, even if it cost me everything. You know, as I sat there singing that, I was thinking, really? Really if it cost me everything? You remember Peter? Yes. Yes, if it cost me everything, I'll follow you. Are you sure, Peter? Because you like to talk a big game. I will die for you. Then as Jesus is getting carted off, he's at a fire and this, this, this girl, maybe she was cute or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I think, you know what? I think it was just the, surrounded by the atmosphere of anti-Christ. I mean, these are the people that, that proclaimed in the crowd, crucify him. Let this other guy go, this, this guy, and crucify Jesus. Crucify him. Now, there's, these, are, these are the people. And they go, hey, Peter, aren't, hey, well, they don't know his name, but hey, hey I saw you. I saw you. I, I saw you with Jesus. That wasn't me. You know, and he denied him three times. And the third time, you know, the, 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 you can imagine in your mind, he, he looks over and he sees Jesus getting carted off by the soldiers. And Jesus just gives him this, lowing, this knowing look like, Die for me? We're not even there yet for you to die for me. But Peter was scared. Peter was scared. It wasn't just peer pressure, you know, like the peer pressure we feel. Should I share the gospel with my coworker? Because what if it damages our relationship? And that's legitimate because I fear those things too. I'm sitting on the plane. And I'm like, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, man, I just want to lie right now. For real. Can I just, I deliver mail, and, you know, I just want to lie, because then I'm a pastor, and then, oh, and then spiritual questions, and then I'm going to be put in this awkward position, I just want to go to sleep. That's easy, it's, you know, it, yeah, it's easy to be, you know, uncomfortable or fearful in a situation like that. But I think Peter thought he was going to die. You know, they just took his leader off to crucify him, and now they're asking, are you with him too? So it's more than peer pressure, but it's scary. Right? It's scary. And why, you know, Jesus was preparing Peter for this. Come out on the water and come out on the water. 
You know, I was just reading that passage this morning in, in Matthew where the, the, the Jesus is walking on the water and he's asked Peter to come out to him. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just it's so bad for me to admit this and this is being recorded and put on the internet. But it's so bad, but it's like I, in my mind, there's like water and Jesus is walking and they're just amazed that Jesus is walking. But if you close your eyes on what's going on there, it's a storm. Well, the reason why the disciples weren't back is because the waves are, 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 are crashing. So Jesus isn't just walking on water. He's walking on water through like a quail or like a, a squall or whatever you call it. You know, he's going through and the waves are crashing and he's, and he's walking. This is crazy. And then ask Peter to come out. What distracted Peter when he saw the wind? Now, I don't know about you. I can't see wind. I mean, you can't see wind. He saw the effects of the wind. What the wind was doing was pushing waves onto the boat, onto him. Water was giving out under him and then swelling underneath his feet again. And that took Peter's gaze off of Christ. I mean, it's again and again in the Bible. This could be a three-hour sermon. Just go through the Bible. Just When does God call somebody to follow him and be like, don't worry, it'll be a cakewalk, like it'll be easy. And so many of us, I think, we don't, we don't do Christianity to the fullest. We don't, do, we don't do everything we're convicted to do. You know, we have this margin of empty space, this little gap of all the things. Think of a column of all the things we're convicted about that we know to be true, that we know God wants us to do, and then the column of what we actually do. And what we actually do doesn't, doesn't meet the bar. It's like we're always in the red. And I think a lot of times because we're just scared to, if we did it, that would be crazy. It would just be crazy. And so we put it underneath the rug of cultural relativism. That was crazy back then. You know, Peter, yeah, Peter should have done that, but he's not at my job. Peter doesn't have my kids. You know, these Bible characters, that's awesome and everything, but what else did they have to do? I'm busy. I'm hoping that as we continue through this series in Joshua, that that kind of gets torn out of us. You know, this, this idea that other things will come first. Jesus made it real plain. This long sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to the, toward the end. And he, and he gets real pastoral. You know, he says, guys, I know you worry a lot. I know there's a lot of things you fear, a lot of things you're scared of, a lot of things that are scary and frightful, and you, you should wrestle with anxiety. And the top two things are what do you eat and drink, and what are you going to wear? I know that. I know that your main, your main concerns are what am I going to eat and drink, and what am I going to wear? Now you fast forward that to our time, and it's compounded. You know, it's like, what's my next data plan going to be, and what do I do when this phone breaks, and what happens when my internet goes out, and do I have a backup generator for electricity? I mean, we have so many things to worry about on top of the things that they had to worry about. And Jesus said, don't, don't be anxious. Don't you dare be anxious. Here's the rule to live by, okay? Seek my kingdom first. Seek righteousness first. And then all these other things will be added to you. Now, that sounds gravy, right? Serve God first. And then everything else that you would possibly worry about that you need, you'll have. The issue is, though, guys, when, when, when the two conflict, your back is up against the wall, because in order to obey, you have to give up something. Or, or in order to obey, you have to make yourself vulnerable. In order to obey, you have to do something real scary. 
and guys, that the Christian life is chock full of those moments where it's scary to do the right thing, but God expects you to do it anyway. And again, like this song we just sang, I mean, how else do we prove our love to God? It's easy to obey when it's easy to obey. Right? One test that I do with, with my dog once in a while when I feed him his food, and he's hungry, you know? <laughs> he's, he's starving. He hasn't eaten in 24 hours, and he's hungry. He's starving. I've got the dry food right there. I'm like, sit. And he sits, but you could tell the pent-up energy, like he's going to devour this bowl. And I put it down in front of him. And right as he goes to lunch, I go, hey, and make him stop. Now, why do I do that? That's so torturous, right? Put the food and then don't let him have it. I want to know he'll obey when it's the hardest to obey. Because then he'll obey me in every other situation. That's the rhythm of the Christian life, guys. God wants to know you'll obey when it's tough. And he wants to build that toughness into your spiritual life. The book of Joshua is full of those lessons. And I think, I don't know, ask me in a different week, it'll be different. But I think, at least for this week, this is my favorite episode in the book of Joshua. And had you asked me like a year ago, I would have been like, probably this is my least favorite. I don't even know what to do with this passage. But I think this passage is my favorite. Turn to Joshua chapter 5. Now, you have to understand the context here at Joshua chapter 5. You remember that they had sent two spies in. They're going to take over this land. Joshua's leading the Israelites to, to kick all these people out of this land. But these people aren't, you know, innocent bystanders. I mean, they're, they're, they're a wicked group, um, a lot of sin. Their wickedness has risen up to God uh, and has incited his wrath. Um, they, are, uh, they are warriors. They are fighters. And the two spies are protected by a woman named Rahab, come back and say, you know, we were barely saved by this prostitute, basically, named Rahab. Uh, but the people are scared. The people, they tell us that they're, they're, they're melting in fear. They are afraid of us. And now they know they're ready to go. First thing they have to do is cross the Jordan River. You know, the Jordan River at this particular time when they were there, was full. I mean, it was flowing over its banks. They've got to cross this thing. And God does this miraculous thing like He did with the Red Sea. He sends the ark, the, the, the water stops flowing, and they cross on dry land. Now, I mean, it's not the most glorious thing in the world either because it says the people crossed over in haste. You know, as you can imagine, the people are like, oh my goodness, this is going to collapse. You know, like, this, this is scary. The walls of the river are, you know, just being held in place while you cross. And they crossed in haste. And then God says, now I want you to take 12 stones from that riverbed and put them together and make a monument. And every generation from here on on is going to see the monument and go, what is that pile of rocks? Oh, son, that's not a pile of rocks. Those are taken from the bed of the River Jordan when God allowed us to cross. You'll always remind them of what I did for you. I brought you into this land. So they get through the river. When they're done getting through the river and the ark comes back out, the priests are out, everyone's out of the riverbed, the river collapses, overflows its banks again. Now, behind them is a flowing river. Now, they, it was okay to send two spies across, but to get two and a half million or whatever the estimate is, 
Uh, scholars differ a little bit, but over a couple million people to get them over a river, that's, that's tough. As they cross through the river, 40,000 of their men are armed with swords, like drawn, ready to fight. I mean, because as soon as you cross this river, you're in enemy territory, right? I mean, they're, they're, right up, uh, they're right up on the border of Jericho. And Jericho is not waiting for them to have lunch. Jericho is going to kill the two spies. I mean, yes, they're, f- they're fearful, they're afraid of Israel, but their reaction to that fear is not to, to have a sit-down talk. Diplomacy is not their route. They want to kill these people. So they cross the river with swords, with swords and, and, and 40,000 men armed, ready to fight, looking around, like, looking to see if like, Jericho is going to attack. But now they're, now they're in a pinch. I mean, literally. You've got Jericho in front of them, armed to the teeth, well fortified, ready to fight. And now the Jordan is closed behind them. I mean, they, they have nowhere to go. So they're probably feeling a little bit jittery. They're probably feeling a little bit nervous. And if it were me, I'd be, I'd be feeling like a little bit like, okay, when is the awesome thing that God is going to, is he going to rain down fire? What's he going to do to help us out here? And then God says, now, what I want you to do is take your swords, put them in their sheaths, stick them back in your tent, and we're going to sit in a circle, and we're going to have a worship service now. Like, what? A worship service? It gets worse. Okay, let's read in chapter 5. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites, chapter 5, verse 1, all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan, of the Jordan. For the people of Israel, until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now, we've already read back in chapter 2 what, what, how they act when their hearts are melted with fear. They don't hide in the closet going, <laughs> they want to kill they want to kill the Israelites as soon as they can. We learn that in chapter 2. Now verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Now what's the last thing you would want to do to prepare for a fight? I think the last thing you'd want to do to prepare for a battle is maim yourself. I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't want to get graphic. You all are adults. You know, or you're old enough to know what circumcision is. This, is. this is painful. They don't have anesthesia. They're not getting them drunk to do it, and they're using flint knives. This isn't surgical steel. And, and adults, okay, fully grown males are being commanded to get circumcised. Now, it's bad enough to go, ah, ooh, ee, like, really? But on the eve before going into battle? We can't run. The Jordan is behind us. Jericho is this well-fortified city. We can't just march in there. But they can sure come out and attack us. And what if word gets out that we're sitting in our tents bleeding, recovering? And I don't know about you, but that just sounds crazy. <laughs> I mean, just, that's just crazy. That's the worst battle strategy you could possibly ever imagine. Well, why do they have to do this? The, the, the author really goes out of his way to explain why. It's almost, 
I don't want to say too repetitive because that makes it sound like, you know, obviously this is inspired and it's, it's emphasized for a reason. Verse 4, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of the war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that He would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom He raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. I mean, he said it over and over in explaining why. When, when Israel was rescued out of Egypt, they get into the wilderness, and they're supposed to take this land, but they send 12 spies. Ten of the 12 come back and go, oh, they're too big, they're too this, they're too that, looking with human eyes, looking at what they could do with their swords, with their height, with their stature, with their numbers, and they said, this is impossible. And God didn't go, oh, guys, I just want to cuddle you right now. You just didn't know, you didn't know I could do it. He says, you know what, you guys can't have this land. You're going to wander in circles for 40 years until you die. Then I'm going to take your kids, raise them up, and I'm going to bring them in. However, while all that was happening, God never had the, the kids, the new generation, they never went through circumcision. Now, this, was, this wasn't just like a religious rite. This was part of the promise. Now, God likes to do signs with his covenant. Remember when he told Noah, Noah, I'm going to make you a promise. I promise I'll never flood the earth again. And as a sign for that promise, I'm going to put something in the sky. What was it? A rainbow. Right? So anytime you see the rainbow, you're reminded of God's promise. The sign of the covenant that He made. God, God does this throughout the Bible. With Abraham, He said, I'm, going to, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you to be the, the forefather of, of a great nation of people. And through that nation, I'll bring the Messiah. So from your seed, I'm going to have another seed who has another seed who has another seed on down the family tree until we get the Messiah, the promised person that I promised in Genesis 3, 15. And the sign for that promise, the sign that a seed will come that will be the Messiah is circumcision. This generation hadn't been circumcised. There's something missing. Remember that margin of obedience I talked about? They were in the red. They, they weren't what they were supposed to be. And God says, I know, I know your concern right now is how many swords do we have? How many guys are able for battle? Um, you know, how, how, what, how are we going to breach that wall? What else can Rahab do to help, help us out? I mean, I know you guys are thinking in terms of strategy, in terms of what you can do, in terms of what you can pull off, but that's the last thing I want you thinking about. What I want you thinking about is how you can obey. This is why your fathers didn't make it into this land, guys. This is why your fathers didn't make it into, into the land that I promised them, because they disobeyed. So we're not going through this again. You need to obey. You weren't circumcised, and now you have, to, you have to use dawn, that sign of the covenant, because the covenant is more important than a battle strategy. Worship of me is more important than what you 
can do or bring to the table. And so, so Joshua does it. Verse, verse 8. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, I mean, they didn't do it in parts and pieces. Well, let's circumcise like a third so that we have two-thirds ready to fight in case we get attacked. No, all of them. All of them. Generals, captains, colonels, lieutenants, sergeants, privates, archers, swordsmen, horse riders. I mean, every single person rank was in the tent hurting. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. I just find it interesting that he said, Before we can move forward, we've got to take care of something in the past. You know, before we can move forward in victory, you've got to take care of something that's glaringly obvious to me as your God. And you guys kind of got used to it. You know, when you were a kid, you're like, how come, I'm, how come I didn't get circumcised? And, and then, but somewhere along the way, you just kind of lost the connection between the covenant and me and how you belong into the covenant and all that kind of stuff. And somewhere along the way, you just kind of forgot. And here you guys are ready to charge into battle in my name. But I can't, I can't be behind you yet. There's something, there's something, uh, there's a fly in the ointment, you know, there's a, there's a stick in the mud. There's something wrong here that needs to get fixed before we go forward. I mean, isn't that just like God? I mean, he, we're concerned about things and, and, and events. God is just concerned about making things, sure things are square with him. Make, making sure things are square with him. And then look what he does next. He rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's stuff from the past. Egypt was probably laughing at them. Look at them. They, they escaped and they're wandering in the desert. Morons, you know. That's been dealt with, guys, because now you're going to take the land. And then verse 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal. They kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. As they wandered in the desert, they were living off this manna stuff, this bread that rain, you know, came down. And he goes, now you're ready. Now you've been circumcised, and you celebrated Passover. Now you're ready to take that land, and it's already yours. You're already eating off the land. You're already eating off the land. It's yours. It's done. They're still thinking, how is it done? I mean, the, the walls, we haven't fought yet. The strategy, the plan. What, what's the plan here? Joshua's like, ah, I'll tell you when God tells me. Joshua's probably thinking like, Lord, what's the plan? <laughs> and God is like, the plan is to take a knife and maim all your soldiers. I mean, how's that, how's that a plan? It's not a plan. It's worship. It's not a plan. It's, it's God first. 
Well, how's everything else going to work out? God is saying, this is what I'm trying to teach you, Israel. I'm trying to teach you, I'll work it out. You didn't cross the river. I, I got you through the river. You didn't use your ingenuity to build river crossing boats or ropes to haul each other across. I just split it in half. So what I need you to be concerned with is the things that concern me. When you're concerned with the things that concern me, then I will take care of the things that you think are going to be roadblocks for you. The things that cause you to doubt, the things that cause you to worry, the things that you're scared to do. Now, what I find amazing about this passage is that the hardest thing Israel had to do, God did, you know, he, he worsened it. It wasn't just, we're going to go attack the Amalekites, the Amorites, or whatever. He's saying, you're going to cross the river, then I'm going to use the river behind you as a border so you can't run. And before you go and attack, you already feel outnumbered, you already feel scared. I'm going to maim all your soldiers. And instead of going over a battle strategy and looking for holes in the wall that you could breach at Jericho, you're going to sit around a table and celebrate that night. From years, decades ago, that night when the angel of death passed over and you were protected because of the blood of an innocent lamb that you put on your doorpost. I want you to think about that. Not a battle strategy, not the walls of Jericho. I want you to think about the blood of a lamb that was spilt so that you could live. I, 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 think, I think it, you know, the Bible's replete with examples, guys, where God intentionally makes it difficult for you to obey. I mean, He's making it, He's not giving them the exact answers on how He's going to give them the land. And not only is he not giving them information on how he's going to do it, he's making it harder for it to happen. He's making it more impossible, humanly speaking, for this to happen. Now, I think in other circumstances, maybe off in the wilderness when there's no enemies around, Passover was fun. Maybe not the bitter herbs part, but, you know, like everything else that you celebrated at Passover... I mean, you sit down, you have family, you talk memories, you talk about God, you're eating food. It's a good time. But in the looming shadow of an enemy that wants to kill you, and you're in no physical position to fight, and God asks you to, to sit down and have a meal that celebrates Passover, that becomes difficult to do. You know what's hard about preaching this message? I ask myself, what situations do we find ourselves in where it's risky to worship? Like, are you having as hard a time coming up with that application as I am? <laughs> That's hard, right? We immediately got to think of, like, well, our, our missionaries in, 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 in China, you know, our missionaries in Korea, our missionaries somewhere else. Like, no, you, <laughs> me. When do we find ourselves in a risky position where we go, ooh, I should do this, but ah, that'd be really hard to do. That's kind of scary. Let me get in a better situation first, and then I'll obey. I don't think it's so much that it's hard to think of an example. It's just when we think of our examples and compare them to like the Bible situations, we're like, ooh, that's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's hard to admit that we're scared of these things. It's hard to admit that it's that the things that are hard for us to do because when we think about it in a church context and we're sitting here and there's a preacher and we've got the Bible and we're all together and stuff, we're in our holy huddle, you know, 
It's easy to think about, well, yeah, 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 I, I get it. But then out there, there are things that rattle us. And we don't, we don't, this margin starts to grow. and We go deeper into the red because we're, we're, we're scared to follow through on the things that God is calling us out to do. He calls our attention to two events. One, circumcision. And two, the Passover. Part of the reason why it's, we have to try to connect the pieces with how it's relevant for us today is because we really don't do either of those things the way they did. Now, it doesn't mean the same thing. We're not a Jewish community. We're not, you know, looking for a long-expected Messiah. And, and, you know, we're kind of more in retrospect. But we have to think of it in terms of what God is calling their attention to. He didn't say, I want you to go through the camp and break everybody's left ankle. He didn't say, I want you to go through the camp, you know, and like temporarily blind everybody. For... No, no, it was symbolic. It was something that was worshipful and something they were supposed to be doing. The timing of it was scary, but it was something they were supposed to be doing. And just the timing of it made scary. In another circumstance, it would be easy, maybe easier to do. Getting circumcised as an adult is never easy, but at least as a baby you don't remember it. And it was supposed to be eight days old, the babies, when they were circumcised. So God sort of intentionally held this off to just give it bad timing. And then, and then the Passover. You know, it's not just a meal. He didn't say, no, I just want you to get together and have a fiesta. He wants you to get together and, and celebrate. Worship me. Celebrate what I did for you. In Egypt, celebrate the protection, the covering that I afforded you. And both of those things point to Christ. I mean, that, that long-expected seed that they were waiting for, the circumcision, what it pointed to eventually was Jesus. And then the Passover, I mean, it's not about a lamb, is it? I mean, even while they're painting the door, you know, they've got to be thinking like, this. I don't understand how this really covers, you know? How does a lamb cover what I did? I mean, they get the sense that I did something wrong. The lamb didn't do anything wrong. So I kill it, and it takes my place. They get that substitution thing, but they've got to be thinking like, but the lamb, there's something, there's a hole here. Circumcision will remind you that there's one coming. There's one coming that will be the lamb. And I just find it amazing. I just find it amazing that God's focus for them is the gospel. How I cover you, I redeem you. What's most important to me is not that you're physically strapping young men that are able to take the city. What's important to me is that spiritually you're in the right place. That spiritually you're in the right place. I can't tell you how many times I sit down and somebody's asking me for counsel. And seriously, all I've got, guys, all I've got to offer this person, they're hurting, they're, they're in pain, they've... They have got no money, they've got no job, there's all kinds of people chasing them. I mean, I don't know, there's all these crazy situations. And sometimes all I've got is Jesus. And even as it's coming out of my mouth, it sounds lame. It sounds like, you know what, I'll pray that you just love Jesus more. What else can I do? Sorry. We have churches and droves moving away from the gospel because they feel like it doesn't count. 
You know, you're preaching about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. We need to actually feed mouths. We need to actually help people. And so they move away from the gospel and they're helping people and they're doing soup kitchen and they're teaching gangbangers how to do computers and they make them literate. And they're doing all this stuff that's good things to do, but what they left behind was what they deem as, I guess, unimportant. And what God is saying throughout the Bible is, I'll take care of those things. You have to put this first. Jesus didn't say, who cares about clothing? Who cares about food? Who cares if you eat? Starve! Fast for me. He didn't say that. He said, I'll take care of the food. Won't the father take care of it? He takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of the lilies of the field. And those are things that just get thrown away, the lilies. I mean, they, they sprout, they wither, they die. God takes care of those things. Don't worry about how you're going to make ends meet. I need you to be concerned with seeking me first. God is not unconcerned with how Jericho is going to happen. He will give them the battle plan. And humanly speaking, it's a stupid one. Or march around the cities, you know, blow your trumpet. Like, that's dumb, attack, you know. But he gives them the plan. But before that, you know, before you start rounding home, he's got to make sure first base happens first, and that's obedience. Even when obedience doesn't make sense. Wait, wait, wait. We could have been circumcised like 40 years ago, but now you're asking us to be so? Like, why now, God? This is the worst timing in the world. Have you ever been writing in your diary and you just admit that, God? This is just like the worst timing ever. Why would you do this, God? Like, why, why would you do this? I'm right at the cusp of victory. I'm right at this place where I feel like some, things are going to finally start clicking for me. And now you're asking me to do something that might compromise that whole thing? I'm finally starting to bef befriend my teenager, you know, my teenager who's, who's been struggling and finally going to befriend them. And then now I have to tell them, you know, you can't do that in my house. And now, God, now that we're finally friends, now that we're finally starting to get along, now suddenly you're going to ask me to call them out on something? I don't know, I just totally made that up off the top of my head. But I mean, right now, I'm sure the spirit is starting to prick you in certain things in your life. Where you feel like God has got the worst timing. He's saying, no, I've got the perfect timing. Because right now, is the, proof, the proof is in the pudding. Right now. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Not when it's safe. Not when you're out in your little you know, uh, huddle at church. Where it's safe to tell everybody how awesome you're going to sacrifice for me. But when it really seems like it's going to hurt to do it. When it's really difficult to obey That's when he wants to make sure that you put him first, that you put Jesus first, the gospel, what the Passover means, what circumcision was pointing to. I have one application that I want to put out there. And uh, I really wrestled with it. You know, this is a week where I didn't so much wrestle with what does the passage mean. Sometimes I get stuck there. And I just come in the kitchen pacing back and forth. Tina's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just, I'm stuck on verse 3. I don't know what it means, you know. That wasn't this week. This week was like, uh-huh, get it. Mm-hmm, I got that. Oh, I love that. That's great. Wow, circumcision, that's crazy. Who would have thought of that? <laughs> you know, I'm loving it. It's the application part. And, and, I, and I want it, if I flip out an easy one, you know, um, like a situation that most of us, probably none of us, will ever be in. 
If you're ever in a foreign country where they hate the gospel, they find out you're a Christian and they hold a spear to your throat and they ask you to deny Christ, don't do it, guys. Now, half of us who are honest will just be like, right, right. I just hope that just never happens. <laughs> All of us will be yeah, 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 yeah. Spear to the throat, sure, sure. I'm never going to that place. I mean, <laughs> that's not real. That's not real. We don't do that. Or I flip out, flip out an easy one where it's like, guys, you know, um, you know, next time you're being asked to lie, just don't cheat on that tax form. And, you know, there's one that I feel like the Lord's been uh, pressing on me. And I think for most of us, we really don't necessarily struggle with this. But I just want to put it out there because I think it's one that's clear. And I think it matches the passage pretty well. What's going on in this passage? Okay. They're supposed to step out and do something for God. They're supposed to fulfill the promise of God. For them, it was taking a city. But it was a promise that God had given them and a mandate. I'm promising this to you, but I'm also telling you, go and do this thing. I'm mandating this thing. As they go to do it, he puts them in the scariest position in order for it to happen. In other words, uh, you have to, it's going to look like compromise. You're going to have to say, okay, I really want to, you know, See if we can sharpen our swords here or something, or see if we can make a few extra arrows. We don't even have bowls. Can we make bowls? Does this land, are there trees? We can make bowls. We have a few days. We could do it real quick, but if Jericho comes out and attacks, we have to hurry up. Can we do that? I really want to do that. And he's saying, when you most want to do that, that's when I most want you to f concentrate on worship. And worship was a community thing. They all got circumcised together. They all had to stay in their camps together. They all got to heal together. And then Passover was intentionally and deliberately a community thing. You're all going to get together, sit around the table, and share that bread, and share that cup, and share that, those herbs, and share that lamb. And, and you're going to share this worship session together. Then they're ready to do what God has commanded them to do. As a church... We're not Israel, but we are God's people. We've been grafted into this plan. And this plan now is that God wants us to, you know, go into all the world with the gospel. He wants us to promote the gospel. I mean, why are we sitting in the theater, guys? Seriously, why are we sitting here? I hope that none of you are like, gee, Lucas just wants to be cool and do something different. He likes change. No, it's because we're, we're trying to reach out to people. Hey, why are we going back to the church? Because now we feel like that's the better. You know, we're trying to figure out what's the best way to not just be about ourselves. Right? That's the bottom line. What, what's the best way that while we worship, we never want to compromise worship. We might meet in a theater, but we're never going to. Let's just let's just not have preaching. No, we're, not, we're never going to compromise the essentials of what worship is. But we have this mandate, don't we? Go into the world and reach people with the gospel. Be fishers of men and the nets. And the, you Remember, this is what discipleship is. So that's our mandate. But there are things that we need to obey in order for that mandate to happen. There's things that we need to obey in order for those things to take place. One that I thought of. I'll just read it to you. It's a familiar verse. It's just one, one verse in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, he says this. These are commands. If you really have faith, if, you're, if you 
if you want the assurance of faith, then you're not those who shrink back. You're not the part of those who get destroyed. You're the ones that persevere. You preserve your souls. You have real faith. This is what your life looks like. You follow these commands. You obey these things. Verse, 25, verse 24, let us, not, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. The word meet together, come together, congregate, assemble, is the word from which we get synagogue. I mean, literally, it's the verb for synagogue. He's saying, consider how to, how to, uh, to encourage one another, not neglecting to synagogue. Now, we don't worship in synagogues today, but we do assemble. Why do we assemble? Because if we didn't assemble, you guys wouldn't put money in a plate that feeds my family. No, that's not why we assemble. This isn't the Lucas show. We assemble because all throughout Scripture, the assembly was key to worshiping God. He doesn't have individuals here, 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 and here all worship me separately. You must come together. Some of the psalms are called psalms of ascent, that they would sing together as they're approaching. They're coming from different tribes and different places, and they're coming together and singing songs that are specific of, to just celebrating the fact that we're rising together to this temple to worship God together. You all crack open the book of Acts and how the church began, and they met together. They met together every day. Every day? <laughs> I have a hard time, like, crossing out the first Friday of every month to, to pray. You know, it's like, every day? Well, the a Acts is full of crazy stuff. And I'm not saying that the Bible tells us we need to meet every day, but the Bible tells us we need to meet. And I just wonder if sometimes, if sometimes um, we put more investment, we invest more emotionally, we invest more, we put more stock mentally, um, physically into baskets that, that aren't, the assembly, the worship, together. We know that if we don't show up on Sunday, we're not going to get stoned. You know, uh, back in the Old Testament, if the, you, you broke the Sabbath, you'd get stoned, you'd die. And now we're under grace. We're under grace, and we know that. But never do we see that it's like, okay, you don't have to, you know. You don't, you don't have to get together. Then you read a passage like that in Hebrews. It says, don't, don't. Some are in the habit of neglecting to meet together. Don't do that. And he's not just coming up with just random footnotes. This is in the heart of the book of Hebrews. And he's saying, there's real faith and there's fake faith, guys. This is all throughout. Hebrews has five warning passages of, don't, of warning you. Don't, don't fall away. Don't be this people that you kind of come, you get excited about God for a little bit, and then you disappear. And you're like, where'd that person go? The, you know, the church is full of those people. Christianity, Christianity the religion, is full of those kinds of people. They come, they go, they never really attach. If you're, you're the kind that really sticks, you're the kind that really means it, you're the kind that really wants to worship, even when your back is against the wall, even if it's going to feel like you're going to die in order to worship, you go and you worship. Not neglecting. 
to synagogue together, not neglecting to meet together. And I think because our lives are so easy, guys, because our lives are so easy, we suffer from a buffet-style Christianity. I'll come to church for a little while, but if the songs are too hymn-like, I'll, I'll stop coming. If the songs are too contemporary, I'll throw a fit. If the preaching is too long, if the preaching is too short. And I don't get a lot of these complaints from you guys, but I know a lot of pastors, and I know a lot of Christians. I mean, this is what's out there. We church hop. You read in the Revelation, it's like the church at Sardis. The church at, you know, why am I drawing a blank? Thyatira. You know, it's like the church, not the churches. If you lived in Thyatira, you didn't go, oh, I'm going to go to this one this week. I'm going to check out that one next week. But that one has a better children's program. I think gonna, that was your church. And you didn't neglect to go because it got difficult. You didn't neglect to go because it was hard. You went. Because that was the synagogue. That was the assembly. That's your people. Now, how many of us, if we had to pack our bags and move to California, how many of us would have a hard time because we would have to leave this group? Or can you just take Christian Fellowship Church, pluck it out, cut around the dotted edges, cut it out, and just paste in some other church? Would that be easy? You see, what, what, what stock do we put in the, in the assembly, the, the meeting together, the coming together to worship? What stock do we put in that? Because the Bible puts a lot of stock in that, guys. A lot of stock in that. So we live in a, in a day and age, we live in a society and a culture now where soccer comes first. You got to put your kids in soccer. You got to put them in a soccer league. What would all their kids' friends think? What would all the kids' friends think if they weren't playing soccer? Your kid has a natural ability. When he plays soccer outside, he's really good at it. Let's buy him the shin guards and the cleats. And let's go out there. I'm using soccer because I don't know any of you that actually do. But an example, right? I've got to put my kid in soccer. What will the kid, what will my own son or daughter think of me if I neglect them soccer? And look, it's not every Sunday. They only have soccer games once a month on Sundays. What's the big deal? That's a good question. What is the big deal? What's the big deal? Missing church. Just listen to the sermon online. I'll tell you, look in their window and you go, ooh, he went 50 minutes that time. I'll listen like three weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know. No, we got the online sermon now. Oh, tell me what happened. We already disrespect worship. You know how many people just come in late because the songs are just the intro part? I always feel bad for worship leaders. Like, they're just the intro. As long as you make it for the sermon, you made church. What? <laughs> when you read through the Bible and the assembly, it was like, it's all about songs. Like, the biggest book in the Bible is Psalms. It's like, full of songs, not sermons. But my kids got soccer. My cousin's in from town. I haven't seen him in a long time. Oh, I got up late. Saturday was really late. Why? What happened? Oh, this, you know, this party at work. And if you don't go and network and kind of rub shoulders with people, you know, you're kind of like putting yourself in a bad situation at work. So you got to stay up late on Saturday. You guys are meeting at 9.30, you know, I mean, whatever. Now, out there in the world and in a culture where church has become something you can kind of cut and paste, somebody ticks you off or 
whatever, you could just go to another one because there's 80 per town of 10,000, you know. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to, to start discounting the importance of congregating together. But when we look at Scripture, that's something that God says, obey. You know, get, get together. It doesn't have to be Christian Fellowship Church, but find a place. You find a place, and you say, this is my assembly. This is where I'm going to synagogue, guys. And when that little kid looks at you with sobbing eyes, like, how come I can't be on the soccer team? Because that soccer league compromises Sunday, son. That's why. Can we raise up a generation? Now, I know I'm going to step on some toes. I don't know all the answers. But can we raise up a generation that chooses careers based on the ability to protect Sunday worship? I want to be a, this particular kind of person. Well, you know they work Sundays. I know, that's going to really stink. But what are you going to do? I really like this job. And you know, I, I don't know all the answers. There's a, there's a book called In His Steps. Renata, do we have that in the library still? Did we have that, In His Steps, by Sheldon? We might even have this book at church. Okay, I think that well, we might even have two copies. We have these, these box of books that we have at church. A lot of them are up on the shelf downstairs in the lower level. Now, I'm not going to tell you that this is like a blow-you-away book. You've got to read it. It's a page-turner. I don't know. I read it, and I'm like, oh, okay. But this is where we get the WWJD thing from. What would Jesus do? And in this book, there's a community of people, and they say, okay, what if we actually just asked ourselves before we did anything, what would Jesus do? What would that look like? This one guy works for a newspaper, or he owns a newspaper. I can't remember exact details, but... He starts turning down pieces. I'm not going to print that article. Why not? That, that compromises my faith. That's why. I can't print that. And the book goes on with all these tension, all these different people. Where they start asking themselves, what would Jesus do? And when they think of what the actual answer is, they realize they're going to lose friendship. They might lose a job. They might lose face with somebody. They might be embarrassed. I mean, it's difficult to do the things that God calls us to do. It's supposed to be difficult. Not all the time, but oftentimes God makes it difficult, intentionally makes it difficult to see the proof of our love for Him. To say, I love you, God. I love you, God, more than my cousin from, from you know, Missouri or whatever. I love you more than soccer. I love you more than football games. Remember before DVR, before VCR recordings, I remember when I was real little, the preacher would have to stand up there and talk about football all the time. Because people skip out on church for football, people skip church for football. Have we grown spiritually or has the DVR just been introduced into our Christianity? You know I'm preaching to myself, right? Because I, I, I try to watch every game. The Red Sox, I don't live in Boston. I, I, like, I pay for this stuff. It's an extra package, and I want to get there. And I ask myself, if I didn't have the recording, would it just be okay? Or would I just like be hustling on the fellowship so I can get home? You know, It's stupid, guys. It's dumb. Baseball? Football? A friend you can see another time? A late night party where you feel, you know, what about, what about you know what? I have standards. I have standards. And if compromising church is going to get me ahead at work, I don't want to get ahead at work. Because I want to make sure that I obey what Scripture teaches me about getting together. Now you look at this passage, Joshua 5, and you're like, I don't see anything about going to church. No, it's the application. What are the things that God calls us to obey? And it's difficult to obey because we're scared to do it. That's the question. You can fill in the blank. 
It may not be going to church. You don't struggle with that. But it might be something else. You're supposed to forgive somebody. You feel like if you forgive that person, you're giving them power in your life. It feels like you're giving them power again. It feels like by extending friendship, extending a friendly hand, you're giving them a leg up into your life again, like their foot is in the door, and it just feels emotionally dangerous for you. And so you hold the grudge, and you withhold forgiveness because you're scared to obey. But the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. You need to forgive. As we go down the line, things that are difficult to obey... But God wants us to obey nonetheless. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And uh, the ushers are going to come and, and pass the baskets. If you're new here, don't feel obligated to give. Uh, but, um, you know, if you have something where it's, it's very specific, and you're like, you know what, I see this conflict in my life, I'm not exactly sure how to work this one out, Pastor. This one's not easy. And I know there's a lot of situations that aren't just cut and dry Easy situations. I want you to use this comment card, okay? And on the back, that space that we have for prayer requests, just write your request down here, okay? If you're ever concerned that this is going to go up on the internet or something, put private. Put private to Lucas or an elder or something like that, and it'll just be shared with the elders of the church. It won't be out for everyone to pray. I would like to be contacted to talk about a specific situation. You can write that down. These cards are so that we can follow up with you. And I want you to really think about um, how God is pressing you with this passage, with this sermon, and how you're going to follow up so that we can get that column of obedience to match the column of commands. That's going to take courage. And that's why the whole book of Joshua started. Be very strong and courageous. I'm the Lord. I'll take care of it. Put me first. Let's think about that as we worship together. These that are difficult to give because uh, I face a lot less of the real world problems that my brothers and sisters in this room face. It's easy for me to cherish Sunday. Uh, it's what I do. I know I need to be here. All the other applications that we could think of, I have my own. I have my own that I know you've been pressing me on. It's difficult to obey you because my feelings aren't there. All my feelings are too busy being anxious and worried over my fears. And Father, we ask that you would give us the courage that we need to surrender our lives, not to our fears, but to obedience to you. So that no matter how scary it looks, no matter how, even if we can't figure out the strategy, if I start obeying here, how's all this other stuff going to work out? Even if we don't know what the strategy is or the strategy sounds crazy, give us the courage that we need to obey you now, in the moment. And we ask that as we seek you first, you will add those other things unto us as you promise. And we pray that you would send us with courage and boldness so we can live obedient lives and worship to you and that we wouldn't do these things just out of obedience but you would give us a passion and a love for you so we're so in love with you we're so enthralled by you we're in such awe of you and we have no real choice but to give ourselves wholly and fully in submission and obedience to your word help us to be radical enough that if we were to wear those WWJD bracelets, 
that we would that we would thrive that we would thrive thinking how Jesus thinks how Jesus acts what he expects of his people thinking of that first help us to do that well by the power and might of your spirit indwelling us Lord and we pray it in Jesus mighty authoritative name amen amen This has been a presentation of Christian Fellowship Church of Itasca Illinois 